0: Well, today we're looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. We're actually headed toward the end of this Sermon on the Mount series. So this week and then next, and then we'll be transitioning to another series. And today we're calling this the Fruit of Genuine Faith. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. Let me read this for you. You can certainly welcome to turn in your own... Uh, bibles and follow along i have it up here on the powerpoint as well here's what we read watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves by their fruit you will recognize them do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles likewise every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit a good tree cannot bear Bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them, plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Those aren't words I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And hopefully you want to hear that as well. And Jesus has been giving us really a pathway for hearing those words. He says, if you want to be a citizen." in the kingdom of heaven this is what it looks like and we've been unpacking those words to the best of our ability one of the times when i first made my way to to india i used to get there a little bit more often but some of the people who were there on the ground doing work good work sharing the gospel the hard work of declaring the good news especially in north central uh, india where uh, there wasn't a lot of presence of genuine believers um, they would express frustration but it oftentimes was not with people who adopted a completely different worldview it was with people who called themselves Christians and, and in particular there were a handful of popular evangelists who would go to cities or villages and amass large gatherings of individuals and take videos of that and then send it back to the west and gather a lot of money for their ministry the reason that frustrated the people who were on the ground is because what what people would do according to them is they would go to a city and they would pay people to come onto the bus and to go to a place where they'd have a large amphitheater gathering and respond to the gospel when it was offered and then take videos so this was people coming to faith at least a show of it by pay and in a a culture in a place where poverty is pretty prevalent you know money speaks it does anywhere too uh, probably so what happened then unfortunately for people who were genuinely loving the things of God when they would come to other people and say hey have you heard about this Christ and his love they'd say oh yeah we've heard about it we were manipulated by it. For people who say the same things that you do. Oh yeah, we know what Christianity is all about. And they had a lot of damage to repair by people who called themselves Christians. In fact, most of the conflict over there too came from different people vying for power. And that is not as it should be. Jesus seems to have something in mind here when he says, you need to watch out for false prophets. Historically, to the group of people gathered who were sitting and learning from Jesus about the kingdom of heaven, they could look back and see that there's a long string of individuals, even in their history, who were supposed to be shepherds watching out for God's people and only used it for their own influence and gain. They were false prophets. Two, really, three points, but pretty pretty brief points for today as we unpack this just a bit jesus is saying you need to watch out for faulty content in verse 15 faulty content and faulty character but verse 15 first watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves so jesus says look you need to watch out because there are people who will be false prophets. Now prophecy in the Bible sometimes involves looking down. We, we talk about the fulfillment of prophecy even in the person of Jesus. But most of the times the prophets in the Old Testament, when you look at the, the 12 prophets, they're foretelling. They're telling God's people in that space and time how God wants them to live. They're declaring God's truth and that's Typically what prophecy means, it's a person who is saying, this is what God has revealed. And you're applying it in contemporary context. And there were people who were false prophets. They weren't declaring the truth of God. They said they were, but they actually weren't. And Jesus says, watch out for those kinds of people. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They seem like they mean well, but inside inwardly they're ferocious wolves and jesus throughout the sermon's been doing that a whole bunch driving things inward inward outside look good they've got the wool that looks like a sheep and maybe even scratch and sniff smells like a shepherd but inwardly actually You zip that back and you see what's happening on the inside? They're wolves. And in the agrarian society of this day, the wolves were the bad guys. You want to protect the sheep. Wolves seek to destroy the sheep. And this is an inward thing. It's it's difficult to measure. But you can at least start getting there by gauging their content. That is, they're, they're false prophets. So they're declaring something. So when a message is going out, then part of what Jesus is saying is be on lookout to make sure that the content is true. You know, one of the things that the Bereans were known for is when Paul went to them, they said they searched the scriptures to see if it was really true. Don't just take somebody's word for it. Do, do the hard work of exploring and looking into it as well. False teachers give false messages, wrong messages. Information, faulty content. And what makes this most insidious is that the source is supposed to be trustworthy. Now, contextually, what comes right before this passage? Jesus has said there's a narrow gate and a, a, a narrow path and you're supposed to take, and it's hard. There's a broad path, a broad gate that leads to destruction. The narrow one we talked about last week, it leads to, actual, to life, but it's a hard path. And then Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. So one of the things Jesus may have in mind is that there could be a message that comes to you that says, walking the path of Christianity, it's easy. It's not hard. It's a piece of cake. You don't really have to surrender absolutely everything, necessarily. It's all right. It's going to be a good thing. Now, I've mentioned before that church historians, some argue that 313 was the darkest day in church history. Why? Does anybody remember? It's the day when Constantine declared Christianity the religion of the empire. Now, up until that time, people who were Christians were kind of on the outs, right? They were on the margins. And if you decided you were going to align with the path of Christ... It might mean you lose your business. It might mean you live in a different part of the city. It might, but it didn't matter, see, because Christ was my all in all. Have thine own way, Lord. Everything I, I give to you, you, it's all about you. It's not about me. So if I sacrifice on behalf of Christ, I really gain, even though the world looks at me and says, we're going to shun you. That's a hard path. Tertullian said the seed of the church is the blood of martyrs. You know, you look in modern-day Christianity, where it's growing the most is places where you're persecuted. Places in the East. The West is no longer the center of Christianity. In a sense, we inherit that 313 edict. Churches have 501c status. You get tax deductions on your giving. Right? Until they change a law and then maybe I won't give as much because I don't get a benefit anymore. That's 313, people. That's That's not living for God's kingdom. That's living to line your pockets with a little bit more money and a kickback from the government. There are plenty of people who probably come and say, look, following Christ is easy. But actually, he's demanding everything of you. He's demanding your very life. And that's the only way that you can truly find it. This is the upside-down kingdom we've been talking about. Not make sense? Yeah, because God's kingdom is entirely different. And if your life looks like everybody else's, you have to start to do a little wondering. Am I taking the hard path? Jesus says there are false teachers who will come, and one of the things they may be teaching is, this really isn't that hard. The health and wealth gospel, Right? God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. That is a very common message that some teachers would say who maybe have large followings. That God certainly wants you to be healthy and he wants you to have lots of money. And the way that you get there is by giving money to our ministry and trusting a little bit more in that stuff. So, the health and wealth gospel, you're familiar with that. Right? So this is not really, doesn't seem to be the path of suffering where Jesus in Matthew 5 when he begins in the Beatitudes ends by saying, blessed are you if you're persecuted. When you suffer for the gospel, well, that's, that's a blessing. That's upside down, but there, it's easy for, for, for churches and people who are supposed to be shepherds to say something different. You can reach back a little further in history and even look at, at the history of the church and, and the Reformation with indulgences and church, churches have authority and they gain power and then they start saying, for example, in the 1500s, if you want forgiveness, you can get it. Just pay us a little bit of money. Your forgiveness of sins can be had for the right price they say and the price is money and the gospel says oh you you can get forgiveness of sins for the right price it's not money it's the riches of christ when he became poor and he sacrificed on your behalf you cannot buy that he's paid the price and you're making a mockery of his sacrifice when you attach forgiveness of sins to that you reach back a little bit even farther with, with Paul again, and the gospel is expanding uh, beyond the, 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 the Jewish notion of God is for us only most favored nation status that the people of God had, and Gentiles, people not Jews, are responding in droves to the gospel, and they start saying, do we have to be circumcised? See, circumcision was the indication that you were in that line of the people of God, but Now, do we have to be in, this is a big debate in the early church, and they come to the conclusion that circumcision isn't what makes you right with God. It's your faith in Christ, period, end of story, that's it. Don't put a stumbling block in the way that shouldn't be there. See, these are all all examples of faulty content that's in the church, that's in the, the culture at times as well. Even back farther, there's prophets when things were chaotic all around who would say, peace when there is no peace. When the church says, hey, everything's okay, but there's a group of people suffering, and we want to pretend they're not actually suffering, so let's explain it away. That was happening thousands of years ago. That's faulty content. There are things. There are problems. There's there's things that are wrong, and we have to declare those and not pretend they don't exist. Watch out! For false prophets, watch out for faulty content. And one of the other things I'd say is how do we discern what faulty content is? And, you know, we have the luxury of standing on those who've gone before us. We declared the Apostles' Creed last week. The Apostles' Creed didn't just, like, pop out one Saturday morning from a guy sitting under a tree (laughs) saying, let me think about a good thing to say right now. It came through hundreds of years of of trying to search God's will and talk about what it means and how do we put this all together and so you end up with doctrines about the person of Christ like the hypostatic union of Christ fully God fully man one person 100% God 100% man he was hungry he felt emotions but he was the very son of God he was very God of very God both together in in a mysterious union but a real union so when he dies he really bled and he rose from the get from from the grave he proved that he was the son of god who is eternal and those things matter i mean getting a good study bible is probably a good bet in many respects you're you're reading uh, a, a collection, and of course the comments aren't the Bible themselves, but they'll be based on a lot of work that has been done over many, many years. If you come up with a new doctrine, my guess is that you've probably put yourself in the false category. His divine power is giving us everything we need for life and godliness. And when we start listening to teaching, we have to understand the whole counsel of God. It's very easy to take a category and read it into the scriptures, instead of stepping back and looking at the whole. I remember when the prayer of Jabez came out, expand my territory. You remember that? Everybody wanted to expand their territory. but Lord, expand my... It's a very obscure, small passage in the Bible. And okay, so maybe you want to expand your territory. I remember reading an article, I think, by The Onion that said, Lord, would you stop answering Jabez's prayer? Because he was the neighbor. And Jabez kept taking his property. And he had to go farther out. It's the whole counsel of God that we're seeking, not just one piece. And I would say just for a moment, too, where are you getting your content? And I know we don't have a lot of teenagers here, but we have people who, at the moment, who are like in that kind of age of social media. What are you believing? Where's the source of your information? What is your authority? I ask my students this all the time. What are you really believing you know when you when you read something and you know, TikTok and uh, Instagram and uh, maybe Facebook for older people and that kind of stuff too. I mean it is the information source for you that tells you who you are or who you ought to be, really that 's tenuous if that 's what you 're building your life on that's It can be some faulty content. there might be some realities there, but this is not where you should be getting your main Main information, because it could be faulty. And it looks like, and you think maybe your friends or others are really out for your good, they don't even realize it. They're false teachers. Well, there's faulty content, but then Jesus goes on to talk about faulty character. And this is the test that takes time. (laughs) So you've got, okay, maybe some basic content, but what about Jesus says you're going to know them by their fruit? And fruit takes a while to come out and, and to see. So it does take a little bit of time. But he says you'll, you'll recognize these people by their fruit. And he gives the image of a good tree and a bad tree. And a good tree, a tree that's good at its root, is going to bear good fruit. And a tree that at its root is, is evil eventually is going to bear bad fruit. And so you'll know. And Jesus is saying, ultimately, what's on the outside is a product of what's on the inside. And he's been saying that the entire Sermon on the Mount. He's been trying to get back from, you know, on the outside, you can obey this command. But it looks like you're doing it according to everybody else, right? You haven't killed anybody today on the way in here. But you might have been angry. And you're on the hook for that. Because Jesus says, this is just a manifestation of something happening deeper inside of you. And Jesus wants to get to the deeper inside of you peace. That's part of what he's talking about. That's what he's getting at. And so here's another image of it. Good fruit from a good tree. What's happening on the inside? You'll know they're false prophets, they're wolves, by the fruit that they bear. I was watching a a TV show recently where somebody was trying to get a a person and a, a professional athlete to join his team. And was wooing him with all kinds of, you know, food and fine, di- fine dining and promises. And then eventually the guy said, no, I'm not going to go. And the person who was wooing him snapped and just went from kind to angry and mad. How dare you? I- so, okay, now we're seeing what's really going on here, right? There's the fruit the anger is like, his motivation was off, but it took time to see that. I've mentioned multiple times my admiration for men and women of faith who've been in it for the long haul, who've been faithful to the end. Their, their character, and when I say their character, I'm not talking about people who are perfect, obviously, but when they make mistakes, they recognize it, they admit it. There's a humility to them, And there has been a stick with itness, a steadfastness through the ups and downs of life, where they say, I am yet serving Christ. I find that remarkably attractive. Sung Soo Ch- Chan Ra, who is a professor in, in Chicago, I remember seeing him talk a, on, a, on a little video clip, too, about how often, at least in contemporary American culture, who we venerate or lift up are people with successful ministries meaning large churches or places people who go to different places and he was kind of giving a caricature of a person who wears you know plaid and rolls up his sleeves and has a couple of tattoos and maybe about three days of facial hair and is you know sort of cool, super cool and speaking it it's uh, just a hip vibe maybe the skinny jeans and that kind of stuff too and and everything and, and how people are coming in droves to learn from this you know 27 year old who's got a church that's got lots of numbers. And he said, I don't want to learn from that person. I want to learn from my grandmother, who has bruises on her knees from praying. That's who I want to model my life after. Nobody knows her, except for him. She hasn't written any books. But she's a woman of God. That's who, he says, I want to model my life after. She's been faithful to the end. Jesus started his sermon by saying the real blessings of life come from character developed by God in in you through his spirit. Like the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience. Kindness, faithful, gentleness, self-control. That's fruit that is being born in you by the life of the spirit. And the starting point is recognizing you can't do that by yourself. That's where he began the Sermon on the Mount. Paul makes an interesting comment to Timothy that combines both of these when he's talking to this young pastor. He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourselves and your hearers. It combines these two things. Watch your life and your doctrine. So your doctrine is your content. Watch it. Yeah, make sure it like... Be humble when you're wrong. We've got everything figured out all, all the time. We do hard study, and, and, and you want to make sure that what you're doing is as accurate as possible. But, but watch it. Be careful that you don't slide into something. But not just your doctrine, your life also. You can have all the right teaching. But if your life isn't lining up with it, and, and it doesn't, doesn't combine, especially if you're in a position of leadership, then you're putting people at risk. So he says, persevere in them. If you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And Paul isn't saying that I have the power to save you in there. We know it's only through Christ. But I would suspect that some of you have some church stories or some, some, some people you've looked to who should have been shining examples of Christ who threw it all away, and it's probably destroyed. You may be shaking your faith. I know I have. Ex- totally bizarre. A guy reached out to me who I haven't seen in 32 years. I'm 50 years old. When we graduated, and it's, I was thinking of Michael W. Smith's song. For those of you who have been around for a long time, friends are friends forever type stuff or whatever, but pray for me and I'll pray for you. Pray that we'll keep the common ground. Does anybody remember that song? Yes, you know, and it was going through my head because I think they were, we were playing that during my graduation or something like that. There was a pretty large Christian influence there too, and he was one of them, one of these kids uh, who who was a believer before I became a believer, and figured some into my story, and then we became friends. He reached out to me out of the blue earlier this week. He's going to be here in a few hours, driving down from Chicago. He lives in D.C. He said, "Hey, I want to just catch up and see how things are going." We both had a common youth leader, the guy who led me to the Lord who declared the gospel to me. Missionary dating story, cute girl, invited me to go to youth group. I said, yeah, wink, wink, let's, let's go and figure this out. God got a hold of me because the guy was declaring the truth of God. He was very, he was just a great faithful steward of the things of God. Went on to get a PhD and then went to be a professor at a, at a seminary, launched a church, started a church, and then left the faith. That's the face, Some indiscretion, a moral indiscretion. I never knew what. All of a sudden, this guy who was kind of somebody who was the rock in my life, I tried to reach out to, and he never responded to me. I still don't know. One of the questions I'm going to ask Mike when he comes here is, you know what happened to this guy? You know, you shouldn't presume to be a teacher. You'd be judged a little bit more harshly. Paul says so there's there's a heaviness and a weightiness to that and the reality is you're probably teaching others as well maybe not in a formal setting but in the way that you live your life the the call there specifically to Timothy really has universal application if you say I am a citizen of the kingdom of God watch your life and your doctrine closely watch your life watch your character Because people are watching and it has an impact on them I mean I wanted to tell that guy look your influence has been profound to me and what some people thought was just a fad at age 16 when I said yes to Christ well that fad just won't go away I'm all in still and I hope I am until the day I die and I'm going to share that with as many people as possible And so I I would suggest in this final thought here in verses 21 through 23, which to me are kind of unsettling verses that we need to consider our own fruit. When Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Say the right things, in your name drive out demons or perform m- many miracles, and I will tell them, plainly, I never knew you, away from me, you evil doers. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. And Romans 10 says, if you believe Jesus Christ, you know, you declare that with your lips, believe you're raised from dead, you're in. And that, that is, that is certainly, there's a truth there, but the whole counsel of God says, the proof's in the pudding, as it were, <laughs> It's not just a formula, a magic formula. Say these words and bing. Because those words are a reflection of something happening on a deeper level. This is nothing rote about walking with God. There are apparently plenty of people who can do amazing things in God's name, but he never knows them. There's no intimacy, there's no reality, there's no, there's no relationship, if you want to call it that. There's no interaction as a father to a child. It's just something they appear to be good at. And God in his mysterious providence leverages that for some good in a person's life, but apparently not the one speaking it. Remember, he's talking to Pharisees here. He's got them in view. In many of his teaching, teachings as well, people who would say they're just good Christians, but they're far from God. Whitewashed tombs. What an image is that? It's, it's, you're, you're just a grave on the inside. You're hollow and empty. You look good on the outside, but you're far from me. And God says, don't let that be you. Jesus says, don't let that be you. Words... empty yes action is key but this action arises from a faith born of genuine humility and love and repentance you know when john is preaching and he's getting some followers and he's starting to baptize people and some pharisees come out as well he looks at them and he says this produce fruit in keeping with repentance that was john's evangelistic style you brood of vipers you evil snakes You say that you love God, but I don't see any fruit or evidence of it. If you really do, then produce the fruit that is in keeping with repentance. False teachers whose hearts were far from God. And what's interesting about that phrase to me is that the very first fruit is repentance itself. Repentance is the first, it's the pathway to the fruit, right? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. They said they believed God, but they didn't start with repentance. What they were really doing was believing a construct of God that was benefiting them. And that's just putting self in the middle of everything. And saying, we got this. Look how good we are. Jesus has been talking about this on the Sermon on the Mount. People who stand on the corner and pray, and everybody looks at them and says, I can't be that righteous. That person's so holy. And they've gotten their reward in full. That's not what it's like, though. Because it's not born out of a sincerity for the things of God. It's born out of what you can get. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Jesus says, away from me, you evildoers. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus himself repeats that a bit later. Repentance itself is the first fruit. If you want to bear the fruit in keeping with repentance, you have to repent. That means you have to recognize that your way is not going to work. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. You lay down all of your agendas and say, God, you're in charge. That's what repentance looks like. You change your mind about your own ideas of the world and how it's going to go, and you say, okay, God, I guess you are the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things. We sing about that. Creator, sustainer, giver of life, that's you, apparently not me. And therefore, I lay it down and I give it to you. That's the beginning of repentance. And that kind of humility where Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount again creates an environment where the tree of your life, as it were, is going to bear the fruit that comes out of repentance, like fruit of the Spirit. If you find pride welling up within you, a critical spirit welling up within you, then you need to repent. And you can't just read a self-help book on ten easy steps to becoming less cynical and make any real progress because all you're doing is dealing with fruit. It's like, it's like painting an apple that's black-red. and saying, fixed it. Jesus says, no, the real problem lies so deep within you. It's at the very core of your being. And the only one who can reach that is me. I created you. I know you. I'm the author of everything. So lay your life down and trust me with it. Stop trusting in false things and idols that are cheap substitutes. It's never going to work. You're drawing from a well that wasn't designed to give you life. I am the only one who can provide that. I'm the living water. And this, this mentality, this reality of repentance, I would suggest, is a way of life for people in the, in, in the kingdom of heaven. You know, those old guys and gals who I look up to, they've grown in their faith in Christ, but they're still repenting. They're still saying, forgive me, Lord, on a daily basis, because they realize how desperate their need for Christ is. It only grows. And so does the reality of applying Christ's sacrifice to you. That's the beauty of the gospel. You know, Jesus tells a parable, you know this, in Luke 18, where there's a person, he says, I'm going to tell you a parable to talk to people who look down on others as well. There's this Pharisee who comes, he says, look, I, I gave faith promise. I saw the person's figure next to me. Mine's twice theirs. Twice of one is two. (laughs) <laughs> whatever. And I, I attend church more often than they do and I go to every Saturday seminar and I have a Bible, neighborhood Bible study and I love my wife even though she's hard to love and look at how great I am and, 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 um, and there's another guy over here saying I don't even know if I can give a single cent to Faith Promise. My faith is so small. I mean, he's just, he's undone. I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't know anything. I'm just, God, I I don't know. I am such a mess. What am I even doing here? Look at these people. Don't they look nice? I don't deserve to be here. How can I even enter into this building because I know the secrets of my heart and weeping. And Jesus says, who goes home justified? The person who gave $100,000 to Faith Promise or the person who was weeping because he can't even give a cent? Because his heart is so riddled with this sense of holding on to things. And that, Jesus says that person. Because now I'm going to start with that heart. And when it gets to the 100,000, it's done with the right motive. It's done with the beauty of recognizing that Christ is all and I am nothing. And it's more complex than that. And maybe those are lame examples because they're off-the-cuff type stuff that I think of later. And I think, why did I say that? I don't want you to be confused and think I don't want you to give generously the faith promise. (laughs) Of course I do, but Jesus wants more than just that obedience. He wants your heart driving it. And so he's rooting out idols in us. And when you're sensitive to that, if you read a passage like this and you think that might be me, you're probably okay. (laughs) If you're like, what if I'm one of those things? Typically speaking, in my pastoral experience, people who wrestle with passages like this are the closest to the kingdom of God. It's the people who are like, ah, I'm good, who I get concerned about. And we look at the fruit of our lives and we drive down to what we're trusting in. And you've done an exercise before where you ask why five times. That might be a good place to start. When you say a short word to somebody, and it comes out really snippy or something. That's fruit, right? That's, that's your words. Everybody sees it. Everybody hears it. Take a few moments to say why. Ask why five times. See, why, why did I say that? Because I'm, I'm upset. Why am I upset? You know, be, because that person was inconveniencing me. Well, why does it bother you if you inconvenience inconvenient? Because I want my life to be quiet. Why do you want quiet? Because I value peace above all else really. So my idol's peace. What if there's no peace around you? you can going to be angry all the time. You're going to be just a vol- voluminous words pouring out of hostility. And if you draw from your own reserves, you're going to keep getting that. But instead you say, I'm going to confess that. I repent of that. I see my heart is loving peace too much. And what I need to love is the things of God. And the well of living life begins to shape you so that You bear the fruit of the spirit, which is patience. Even if that person deserves a harsh word. The tree of life. Words of life coming out. Harsh words no longer. Gentle answers. So, Jesus here says, the fruit of genuine faith is what Christ and God are after in our own lives as well. And my hope is that maybe this week, too, you start thinking about the fruit of your life when you maybe say a snippy word or get angry or whatever. Take some time to to pray through that and repent and say, God, show me what I'm trusting instead of you and make me one of yours. Have thine own way. Work in me the fruit of faith and not... The fruit of those. And it's look, easier to look at others and, and say, oh, they've got bad content and bad character. And uh, it's, it's valid to do that. But like Jesus said before, not until you look at the plank in your own eye. And that's where we start. Father, I pray that you would give us a deeper understanding of this. There's a lot in this passage that hasn't been uh, addressed as well. Maybe some questions that arise from it. But we know at the end of the day, it's reinforcing what's clear in Scripture. We have been saved by grace through faith. We cannot earn our way to heaven. And that creates a humility in us that leads to repentance, which brings life. And we don't want to live apathetic lives or lives that are constantly dwelling in judgment of the other, but rather to know the grace that God's given to us so that out of it, we can love others well. We pray that nobody here would hear the words, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoer. But instead, by faith in Christ, we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.